You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. music lovers and welcome to modern musicology my name is alan i got my regular co-host with me rob how's it going hey how are you i'm awesome anthony what's up hey man i'm great thanks how are you fantastic and we are joined once again by our very good friend former aquanetta's drummer and amazing solo artist stephanie seymour stephanie how's it going that's a nice intro thank you i'm glad to be here again as always woohoo well, we love having you. So awesome. Anytime you're available, just say the word. Yay. And you'll be like, hey, I'm going to join you tonight. And we'll be <laughs> like, oh, that's fine. All right. So uh, let's talk about some stuff that we've been listening to this past week. Who has been, I, I'm, I'm going to say right up front, I have had a super busy week and I have not had a chance to listen to very much. So I'm hoping you guys have listened to some interesting stuff on my behalf. So, Anthony, what's been in your ears lately? So there are two things I want to give a shout out to. Singles that were released in the last week, or really the last two, because I missed out on recording with you guys last week. Um, Vukovi, who I've mentioned before, great Scottish duo, uh, female singer, um, guy on the guitar, and then they've got some backing musicians that I think are rotational, just released a new track called I Exist, which uh, kind of blends pop music with some really heavy guitar work it's quite an interesting combination um her voice is very melodic it works really really well so that's been on heavy rotation and the other one which was something i didn't expect to cut them uh out this year is uh the i guess it's technically the second single from the next slipknot album the dying song and oh i that, missed that yeah and you know Slipknot were a band when I was in my teenage years and starting to get into heavier music. I thought they were terrible. They were not (laughs) my thing at all. And as I've got older and they've kind of mellowed out their sound a bit and have started doing some more interesting things with it. I think my taste in music has evolved and is a bit broader. I actually really like their later output. And this new track is no exception to that. I mean, Corey does his usual screaming on the verses, but the, um, the chorus is nice and melodic. They they actually hmm. musically do some fairly interesting things um, and kind of bring some of those sounds that you would t- typically associate with death metal, things like blast beats in the drumming. Hmm. They bring that to the mainstream, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, yeah, so really cool. digging that as well. Beyond that, it's been following our Kate Bush podcast two weeks ago. It's been a lot of Kate Bush. It's also been a lot of Tori Amos kind of by uh, hmm. by proxy as a result um i'd like to give a shout out specifically to spark by tori amos which is a song that i've just had completely in my head for the best part of a week now that piano crescendo is just amazing so that's my slightly weird and diverse uh what i've really been listening to in the last couple of weeks that's awesome a couple of notes one my partner has now discovered kate bush thanks Ooh. to Stranger Things, and has been listening very, very consistently. And two, I think Corey Taylor's best work 
was the monster sound effects he did in Doctor Who. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, on, what um, was that, 20... Un under the lake. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Before the flood. <laughs> and I and I jest. I love Corey. I think he's amazing. I just wanted to throw that out there. All right, Rob, what you been listening to? <sighs> okay, so um, this is finally the week that the Interpol record dropped. Uh, so I can mm. talk about it. And um, yeah, so it's great. It's called The Other Side of Make Believe. It's a new record from Interpol. They're touring with Spoon. And then the dates they're not touring with Spoon, they've been playing Turn on the Bright Lights in its entirety, uh, which is pretty great. Uh, the other fun thing I've been listening to is um, this is not something I thought I would love. I love their first record, and I kind of got lost with them a little bit and picking them up in dribs and drabs. But uh, so Melt Away is the new record from She, from she and Him, uh, which is M. Ward and uh, Zoe Deschanel. And the entire album is a tribute to Brian Wilson, and Brian Wilson is actually on the record, which is also cool. It is much cooler than I thought it was going to be. Um, and hearing a lot of these songs with a, a female voice and a steel guitar behind them is very interesting. Um, so I recommend that. Also, the brand new record from The Fix. It's been out for a while. And I keep coming back to it uh, yeah. every five seconds. Uh, is the title of the album. I'm not coming back to it every five seconds. Um, and then also, um, because the 90s are not over, um, I've been listening to... Um, a State of Grace, which is the new record from the House of Love. It's their first album in nine yeah. years. They dropped a single called Clouds. It's so good. And they're doing a um, a short American tour as well. I shouldn't say they. It's probably Guy Chadwick. It is Guy, yeah. Guy with like, you know, session guys. Um, but yeah, so I've been listening to, to that a little bit as well. And then I've been going old school here um, lately. And um, I... Really, I don't know if you, you two guys know this. I, I think uh, Steph knows this, but I really, really, really love Fats Domino. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of Domino's, which is a record of his from 1960. Um, it's kind of an interesting transition record because a lot of the stuff that would come later, uh, you start to hear the beginning of it. And just the piano on it is just freaking amazing. And then lastly, um, the new seven inch from the wedding present. Um, we interrupt our, pro the, our program, which has got, Two nice songs on it and um that guy that guy is dave gadge is cracking out a record like every four minutes during the pandemic it is obnoxious trying to keep track of all of it and he does not release albums everything's a seven inch single uh so it's incredibly frustrating so that's what i'm listening to that sounds awesome stephanie what we you got you can always count on me for the old. So, um, cause I'm not about the new really. I mean, just because I don't seem to like explore as much as, as you guys do. I don't know. But it's anyway, okay. for, for sort of not, I don't want to say selfish reasons, but for my own reasons, I've been listening to two records that I absolutely love. Um, uh, because I want, I was thinking about doing like cover songs on my next EP, just not the whole thing, but just maybe one or two. So the first is um, Daniel Lenoir uh, for The Beauty of Winona, that album. I've been listening to that. Like, first of all, it's one of my top 10 of all time. I know most people know him as just a producer, but yeah. he is, he's got so many great albums. And I actually think he has a new album coming out now because he has a new single out now. But anyway, so the song I'm thinking about covering is The Messenger. Mm -hmm. um, that or Death of a Train. But I feel like The Messenger might be calling to me a little more. So that album, which is just, if you haven't heard that album, go get it. It's, it's, 
like magic. That's how I'll explain it. Um, wow. And the other album that I've been listening to is Ron Sexsmith's first album. I believe, yeah, yeah, it's just called Ron Sexsmith. So that is his first album because I'm thinking about um, doing Words We Never Use. Ooh. I love that song so much and I hear a lot. I hear the harmonies that he's doing, but I hear more and I feel like I, I want to do it a little bigger I, and a little less of a drum kind of a loopy thing than he does and do more like drums and maybe a violin or something instead of the, anyway. So I, that, and that again, a, an amazing debut album, just like so many great songs on it. Summer blowing town, like just, it's fantastic. So those are the two main things I've been listening to. That's very cool. As I mentioned earlier, I have had a crazy week. So my listening has been at a minimum, but at work while I'm just, you know, busying myself, one of the things that I have been keeping myself entertained with is my 90s playlist that I made on Spotify, which is just a collection of like all my favorite stuff from the 90s. But ever since getting to know you, I have added some Aquanetta songs to my 90s what? playlist. I know. Awesome. And every time one comes on, I think I know that drummer. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I talk to her on a fairly regular basis. So, <laughs> so cool. that that quarter of a cent you get for every play. Yes. Some of that's right. coming from Alan. That's right. Thank you. Actually, it's more like a quarter of a quarter of a cent, but thanks. I would think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've got a I've got a work story that I'm gonna share in lieu of something that I've listened to this week. Um, so uh, for listeners who don't know, I work at a public library and I had a a girl come in um, a few days ago who might be 10. She might be 11. I mean, she's really tiny. She's very soft-spoken. She's so sweet. Um, incredibly respectful to her elders, which is nice. Um, so she was like, can I check some, some things out? And I'm like, sure, of course. So I'm scanning her library card, and then I'm like starting to scan the items. And so um, it's like, you know, this book and a, and a teen book, and then there's an Iron Maiden CD, Book of Souls. And then another Iron Maiden CD and then another Iron Maiden CD. And I'm like, so who's all this Iron Maiden for? She's like, oh, my 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 father ordered that for me. I've I'm learning guitar and and I love playing like metal. And <laughs> I'm like, you're you're not even big enough to hold a guitar because you're just the tiniest little precious the thing. Of rock culture, man. And she was and she's just so sweet. And so we're talking. She has been playing guitar for eight years, but she's starting to get really serious about it. And so I'm like, so, you know, hey, would you mind if I ordered some stuff for you of like some uh, women who play guitar and, you know, don't ever let anybody tell you that because you're a girl, you can't play guitar. She's like, OK, <laughs> awesome. but she is uh, she's like my favorite new patron now. And, you know, and I always try to take you know, some opportunity to get to know people. But, but this one I've just like latched onto, like you're my protege from this point on. <laughs> he could be like yeah, the next you, Mandy you, Bushnell for guitar then, when, you know? When you work at a library and you get that, that is like the coolest yeah. thing ever. Yeah. I had somebody come up and with a copy of High Fidelity once going, should I read this? I'm like. <laughs> hey, maybe you've got <laughs> the, uh, the next Knight of Strauss on your hands, Alex. Yes. Oh That's yeah, awesome. exactly right. Well yeah. done. Orianthi right here in, in my building. Um, so 
there's one news item that I kind of want to cover. And, you know, I, I think I'm the only person here that's a regular. Well, maybe Stephanie is a regular Sirius XM listener. Yeah. Um, and Rob's raising. And Rob, good. So they have a a talk. They have a whole like series of talk channels. Most of them are sports or politics or whatever. But there's one music channel. It's all talk radio, but it's all about music. And it is. I, I started getting into Sirius XM maybe two or three years ago. It was about a year ago that uh, my partner said, hey, you know, there's there's this all talk channel on on music. And I was like, what? I need that. So I upgraded my um, subscription so I could get that in the package that I was getting. And anyway, so it has changed my life and it is full of the most amazing, most knowledgeable, coolest people I've ever heard. And it's really sort of like it, it actually inspired me wanting to do a music podcast because I was like, oh, they're they're living the life, man. So I want to, you know, it, it, on a much smaller scale, I want to do that, too. So this whole, you know, this whole podcast is because hmm. I started listening to those people and I thought, holy shit, I could make a living out of talking about music. I'm good at talking. I like music. They are going off the air. Oh. Yes. Oh. Uh, they One of their big shows, uh, they did their last show on Friday, uh, debatable with um, Alan Light and Mark Goodman, who was one of the original uh, MTV yeah. VJs. Because Mark had a vacation scheduled for the coming week. They're going to go off the air. The whole channel is going off the air next week. And... Uh, Mark Goodman already had a vacation scheduled, so they didn't want to go off with only one of their two hosts. So they made Friday their last. And that's kind of when the whole big news broke about this whole thing. Some of the some of their shows are sh being shunted off to other uh, stations and some of them are just not happening anymore. Wow. And I am heartbroken about this and it has totally changed. I mean, when I'm in my car, I don't even listen to music anymore. I just listen to people talk about music. That's, that's mm -hmm. like I'm addicted to this channel. And I am just crushed that this thing is going on. So that makes podcasts like this one all the more important. That's correct. Because we're going to fill the void that volume is leaving behind. That's sad. That's terrible. It why is are they, horrible. Did they say why they're going off the air? Or? They're going to they're gonna, uh, make it app only. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they're doing they're doing this thing where they're filtering a whole bunch of content off onto their app to really boost the app and app only because yeah. people are in love with this like app only programming. It's sort of like a new music trend now. Their stations, radio stations, are doing like app only programming. They think that that's a market they can get in on early. The good news is that um, Pandora is going to start doing some of these things, and I think a couple other places are going to start doing them too. But it won't be this, which is very sad. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though because that's a business-wide thing. It's not just the music industry. When I was mm -hmm. in business school four or five years ago, we had to do a class that was fundamentally a consulting class, and we had a client that was in the food industry come in and basically say to us, for legal reasons, I signed an NDA. I can't say who it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they basically said, we need to figure out how to up the amount that our app is being used. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think for something like SiriusXM, this is 
an obvious way to do it, move content to be app exclusive. I think it sucks, uh, but well, they uh, have they have a an enormous slew of channels on their app, and uh, like a lot of really specialty ones. Yeah, that is actually and, how I listen to that. I mean, I do yeah. listen on the app, but yeah, yeah. So I don't know. There you go. That's that's mm. my big news for the week. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to throw in an ad for one of the other shows on our podcast network, and then we'll be back in thirty seconds to talk about songs that should have been singles see you in a few if you were a monster kid growing up if you enjoyed saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee or staying up all night watching the midnight feature then monster attack is the podcast for you we not only look at classic old monster movies we share our experience growing up as a monster kid join us every monday for Monster Attack. Welcome back. This episode, we are talking about songs that should have been singles. Now, this is a slightly weird topic these days, since <laughs> yeah. the industry's moved to downloads, and now any song off of any album can technically <laughs> chart at any time, as long as enough people are buying it. But we still have songs that artists designate as their singles. So you can still look at it and go, okay, this band never designated this as a single, but it charted. So it doesn't count. And that's in scope for our discussion. Um, so what we're going to do is really just talk through some of our favorite songs, some of those absolute bangers that we feel could have made an impact on the charts if they had had the marketing machine of the record label behind them as a single. So I want to start us off with one that I think is is fairly obvious if you're a fan of that band, the guitarist. And as soon as I say who the band is, uh, you'll immediately know who I'm talking about, has frequently said if we had done another single off of that album, it would have been that track. Hmm. And that is a song called Slide Away by Oasis. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was on their first album, definitely, maybe. Good pick. No, Noel wanted to put it out as a single and the record label said, have you seen how many singles you've already got from this album? <laughs> no, we're not doing it. <laughs> so it's, it's a wonderful anthemic track that fundamentally, I think they should have closed out every single show with because mm. that, that's the kind of fist in the air anthemic track that it is. But to me, that's such a slam dunk as a track that should have been a single. That's a cool pick. That is I a like cool that. pick. Now, you know, speaking of anthemic, that reminds me of like one that I, that by you two that I was from the Joshua Tree that I think should have been a single. And interestingly enough, it was a single in New Zealand and Australia for a very specific reason, but it's, you're going to know what it is. It's One Tree Hill. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. One Tree Hill. But mm -hmm. the reason they only put it out as a single in those countries was because it was about Greg Carroll, who was their roadie and actually a good friend of Bono who died. And um, it was so emotional, I think, for him that they he they actually didn't perform it live for a few tours and they finally did it. They just sporadically actually performed it here and there because um, he would get so, I guess, emotional about it. But so I, it wasn't a single for most of the world, really, just in just in Australia and New Zealand. So mm -hmm. I think that's another, that was another, like, just so obvious, such a great, like, 
beautiful, but also also really powerful song. Mm. That's awesome. Nice. So I, I was thinking about the New Order album, Power, Corruption, and Wise, and it doesn't really have a proper single, but there's two songs on that record, Age of Consent and Your Silent Face, that have kind of... Um, and I, I was very careful to make the distinction between a deep cut and a single here. But those are songs that sort of have lived on. And eventually they never played them for years. And finally, they just threw up their arms and said, OK, fine, you win. Um, so for me, those are two of the ones that I think of right away um, as well. So when we talked about this as a possible topic, the first thing that came to mind for me was Prince. And there's a number of things from him on later albums. Like, I don't think you can even talk about like Purple Rain and, you know, 1999. Well, not 1999, maybe because a double album, there were so many songs that could have been singles. Um, but I'm thinking like later on when he is sort of like going through peaks and valleys of, you know, varying success and sort of struggling for, you know, chart uh, success and chart presence. And in 1999, um, he released an album called Raven to the Joy Fantastic. And this was supposed to be something of a comeback album for him. It was supposed to like put him back on the charts. And uh, it was uh, released on Arista. It was a, a one album deal that he did with Arista. And Clive Davis, his whole his whole like uh, shtick for this thing was that he was going to pull the same trick that he did with uh, Supernatural, that album by Santana, where you have a legacy artist who is making a new record and you want it to sound legacy. You want it to sound like that artist, but you want to bring new influences in to make it connect with the, the current listening audience. So there were guest artists on this album, on the Prince album, uh, like Eve, Chuck D, Gwen Stefani, Cheryl Crow, and then oddly enough, Ani DeFranco. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know where that came from, but um, they only, so Clive Davis puts all this stuff together to like basically relaunch Prince as a chart topping, important and successful artist. They only released one single from the album and it is boring. It's called The Greatest Romance Ever Sold, and it is just like this slow, lethargic uh, molasses of a song that's terrible, and it didn't do anything for the album. And there's a number of songs on there that could have been great singles. And the one that, that always st stands out to me is a song called Baby Knows, which Prince did with Sheryl Crow. And this is in, this is like late 90s. So this is when Sheryl Crow is hot. So had they released any of the songs that have the guest artists on, which Clive Davis, you know, made specific use of putting these artists on for this reason, the album could, I mean, the album did okay. It did well, but it could have done so much more. And that song, Baby Knows with Sheryl Crow is so catchy and so fun. Yeah. And it's got such a great energy to it it actually could have done what Clive Davis wanted it to do. You never uh, know why, <clears throat> why yeah. that, why that happens. And um, I was thinking about that for this show. Uh, you know, oftentimes artists are 
bullheaded and want a certain like, because I know that <laughs> we true. did that um, with the Aquanetas and 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 our label disagreed and uh, they probably ended up being right in the in the end. But you learn that way. But I mean, this this is obviously after Prince has been completely established. So maybe I don't know. You never know. Yeah. You never know why something is a single mm-hmm. all the time. Right. But my my working theory is that greatest romance ever sold was sort of a love ballady kind of thing. And it was sort of mid tempo. It wasn't like a really like slow song, but it was it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I think that. Uh, four years earlier, he'd released an album called The Gold Experience, which had a single on it called Most Beautiful Girl in the World, which was also a mid-tempo love ballad kind of thing. But it's a great song. And it's got such a cool chorus and it's got so many changes. Like there's all these different arrangement changes. So the song sort of takes you on a journey. And I kind of feel like they were trying to replicate that success with Greatest Romance, but they just... The only song they had like that to go with was a fucking boring one. And it (laughs) was just awful. So, (laughs) so sorry, Prince, you could, that could have been a much better deal than it actually was. (laughs) I, I have an out of left field artist. If you want kind of out of left field. I love left field. Is that okay? If I left field is the best field. Okay. Well, I, I love Lisa Marie Presley. I think she's awesome. And I love all the, all for her three records. But um, so her second record is called Now What? And they totally didn't pick, again, like this, there, there's some really good stuff on there, but the song called Thanks, and that's Thanks with an X at the end, which was co-written um, by Linda Perry, who, who actually co-wrote a few other songs, but I, on that album, she, mm. I mean, talk about a hit maker, but um that was like the, the the obvious single with the amazingly hooky chorus that also was a really personal i feel like song for her a lot all of her songs are really personal and kind of deep and introspective but that those lyrics could have also connected really well with uh the with with the general listener i think and instead they put out uh the cover of dirty laundry by don henley which is a, actually it's a pretty good cover mm. um and then they put out the song I think they saw, put out "Idiot." I think that was the other single, which was a, which was all right. But it's just like "Thanks" is just totally obvious. They missed it. They could have had a huge hit with that. And sorry, yeah. you blew it with that one. <laughs> so, keeping it the family, one of the ones I had on my list was you know the the album and the movie "GI Blues" have a just a, even though it's in this Hollywood period, which isn't his best, there's a treasure trove of really great sort of like forgotten records that should have been singles and pocket full of rainbows um, from GI blues is really good. It's mm. not necessarily one of Elvis's finer records. So I wanted to talk a little about another iconic artist. And this is one that I suspect is very close to Alan's heart. And he may have had something by this artist on his list as well, but as I was looking back at some of these bands, what I noticed was singles pickings in the early 70s could be somewhat erratic. I don't know why. And as I was looking back at David Bowie's discography, mm. and I was specifically looking at what had been released from Ziggy, which, you know, for the most part is considered to be his most iconic album. 1972, when the album came out, Starman was released as a single. Makes sense. 
There wasn't another single from Ziggy until two years later, by which time he had released another two albums. And they <laughs> really? then released Rock and Roll Suicide as a single. Mm. Don't know why. Right in the middle of releasing Rebel Rebel from Diamond Dogs and then the title track from Diamond Dogs as singles. That's super weird. I never knew that. Yeah. And then another two years passed and from Changes 1 Bowie, they then released Suffragette City, which, of course, was originally on Ziggy. Yeah. So the original promotional campaign for Ziggy only had one single. And as I was thinking about that, what are the songs that have really captured the public imagination? And candidly, that's the entire album. So (laughs) (laughs) tough picking. As I was looking through, I thought Moon Age Daydream would have made one hell of a single. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, again, it's anthemic. It's about the right kind of length. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think it just sums up a lot about who David Bowie was in that period of his career. Good one. I, th- I think for radio at that time, hang on to yourself might also have worked. It's yeah. so interesting, though, you know, when you talk about things that should have been, and you also have to think about things that everyone assumes was released as a single because it has been, it becomes so iconic on radio and the title track is certainly that. I mean, every rock radio station plays ziggy at least once a day you know mm-hmm. and you and it's on every collection of bowie greatest hits and yet how how did that not get released and it had a video right. too like i mean i remember being like a danceteer and just watching that all the time too so weird yeah it's weird but you're absolutely right about the sporadic nature of releases like one 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 single from an album and then like a non-album single and then an album that doesn't have any singles and it's just wacko and you go through that stuff with uh the beatles and bowie and some similar artists and you're just like i can't make sense of any of this stuff like how did this ever happen and in the 60s and 70s the non-album single was a big thing yeah you still get it occasionally now but it's a lot less common i think absolutely um, and sorry i'm, I'm gonna seek straight into another one of mine because it kind of follows on from that and similar time period roxy music the promotional campaigns for them was fairly odd um if you look back to them their their first single um which i think was virginia plain was it lady tron I get them the wrong way around. Yeah, (laughs) That was not on the UK original pressing of their debut album. In the UK, it was a non-album single. They did not have a promotional single from their debut album. Mm. And then they only had one each from their follow-on albums. Um, So, again, I was thinking through, um, and I thought off of that first album, either 2HB or If There Is Something... Both of those, I think, would have been absolutely killer. They would have fit right in with the charts at the time, particularly the the burgeoning glam rock scene that was really kicking off. Um, mm. And then the other one of theirs from their Stranded album that I was surprised wasn't a single, because I think it's so synonymous with that post-Eno era of Roxy music, is Mother of Pearl. Mm. I was mm. astounded when I saw that that was not a single. Yeah. Um, so again, both of those should have been a single. 
Anyway, I'll yield to someone else now. Sorry, I was selfish and had three in a row. I, you know, I have, <laughs> that's fine. I have a thought about, and as I was going through my lists and stuff in my head, there are certain songs that were released as singles to the public, but then there was also like promo singles that were sent just yeah, from, record, right. like, you know, like a lot of white labels singles. Yeah, that were just like, right. So, um, right. That is the case with with one of my actually a few of the ones I picked, but um, one that I think should have just broken huge was there by the Water Boys uh, from their Dream Harder album, which was ni- in '93. The song called "Preparing to Fly," which was actually I believe it was it wasn't really like a white label single, like they had a cover, they had some artwork, but it, the the songs that they picked for actual singles were were just like. I can't even, it was sort of when he was in his weird like corn circles phase and like just, you know what I mean? Like it was this whole, like the Glastonbury song was on that and that was a single, I believe. But the preparing to fly is completely, it opens the album. You think it's going to be this really like rocking album and it's kind of this bizarre, the whole thing takes a bizarre turn after that in my mind at least. But Dream Harder has probably one of my top, I always say it's like my top 20, but like really maybe my top 20 favorite guitar solos ever. And the drummer on that album is Carla Azar, which we, who we, who is amazing. And there's so many cool people that are on that album and specifically on, on preparing to fly. If you don't know that song, please go listen to preparing to fly. It's like it transport. It's like hole of the moon, like transports you to another dimension. It's Mm. so great and powerful and so that's one of my that's one of my kind of singles that was a single but not really yeah Mm -hmm. and you have the the thing where sometimes songs get released to a specific market right you know radio um, market Mm -hmm. right and uh you'll find things that are that were released specifically to the uh aor or to the, the 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 modern rock kind of thing and, you know, there's some that never were even that. Like I can think right off the top of my head, um, everyone assumes that The Chain by Fleetwood Mac from Rumors is one of their biggest hits, never released as a single, never as a promo mm-hmm. single, never as a, you know, like a genre single to the rock. It's just one of those songs that rock radio completely adopted, latched onto, and you know, the band yeah. is like a signature song for that band, but never a single. And the other one that I, that I can think of, and this is a weird example, but Journey, Stone in Love from Escape. There were four singles from that album, all of them kind of like dreary, but they were huge hits, you know, like Who's Crying Now and all that <sighs> molasses bullshit. But Stone in Love got like picked up by rock radio and they played the hell out of it. They and did. it was never officially released as a single it wasn't like you know promoed to rock stations or anything like that it was just like hey this this is a great song with this great guitar opening and everything and so that's always an interesting phenomenon to me see i I remember in the uk radio stations used to get into trouble for doing that if it wasn't officially a single you weren't really allowed to play or even if it wasn't a promo single they'd be allowed to play promo singles um which i think was a really interesting point that Stephanie raised was mm-hmm. about promo singles. Um, because mm-hmm. 
I think it's something that you have to be able to go out and buy as a CD single to actually count. So yes. I wasn't going to bring them up, but Porcupine Tree did a bunch of promotional singles, yeah. um, including Trains, which a lot of people consider to be their greatest ever track. Mm. Um, so I, I just find that really, really interesting. Why do that, but not yeah. well, actually well, release it? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Cure did that too. They released a night like this kind of as a one off single when Head of the Door came out. Uh, they they put out a thing with just that on it. And then when Violator came out by Depeche Mode, I remember getting uh, just a one track CD single for Halo, and that was intended to be the next single. But the band said, "No, we're done with singles." Um, I've got one by The Fix too for Less Cities, More Moving People. Yeah, and, that's a great example. Which is a great song, but they just didn't think that it was going to. They wanted yeah. a record that would do well worldwide, and they're not sure that that would really work in America. So they, yeah. they pulled it off. Um, yeah. Another one, perhaps for me, the single greatest one that I remember getting in, in uh, college, I stumbled across it when I was at the station going through stuff, is New Gold Dream by Simple Minds. They put that oh, out. Oh yeah. They put totally. that out to uh, what they called non-commercial. They didn't call it college radio then. They codified it as non-commercial radio, uh, which has kind of been picked up still. But uh, that's a great track. It's become mm. sort of a classic track, and you know. Um, yeah. Boy, that's I one could... of them, and along with White China from Ultravox, those two mm. sort of from the mid '80s kind of had this reputation for being sort of pseudo singles. Man, I should have thought of Simple Minds because I can pull a couple of examples for them. Yeah. But to Anthony's point, um, top in, at least here, Top 40 Radio, you are sort of locked into what has been released by the record label as a single. But particularly in the 70s and up through the mid 80s, you had the phenomenon of album rock radio, which didn't play singles, didn't worry about what was... Um, released even as a promo by the label they just pulled album tracks and played them or played full albums oh my god the, one of my favorite experiences growing up was listening to our album rock station in central florida zeta seven long live even though they've been gone for like 40 years or whatever <laughs> but they would play like whatever like a big album was coming out on uh, release day used to be Tuesday. So Monday night at midnight, they would play the entire album of whatever that next day's big album was going to be. And I heard so many full records the day before they, or, you know, wow. the night before I could have bought it in the store and Oh my God, loved it. That's so but cool. yeah, so rock, yeah. rock radio is a different genre or different animal than top 40 is the college station. I first started at, we did, yeah. um, an album of the day and it was sort of like mm. near the end of the day they pick a record and the labels would get so excited when we picked a record to be the album of the day you know there were certain rules and stuff with with doing it but like we'd play a track during the day we'd play one track an hour from the album oh, and at cool. the end of the day we'd play the whole thing and that was like a big deal right and that's kind of where this notion of a second single came because a lot of radio people would listen like when it's um when the radio stations in Long Island and a couple of the ones in California, the labels would pick up what people really dug off of those album nights. Right. And they'd use that for the second single, or they'd see um, more importantly, they're like, what, what, what track can we use off of that to play at indie radio before we release the single that we want to break to commercial radio? Um, 
Yeah, so it was that, like almost that, like a testing ground. Yeah, it was kind of like, this isn't a real single, but this is how we'll get them out there in the consciousness. And so there's almost two singles. There's the real single, and then there's like the faux single. Yeah. Um, and that was a big thing. I know, Steph, you guys were talking about that a lot with records. They're like, well, this is, you know, we're going to work this one to college and then try to break this track to radio. Yeah. Commercial. And that yep. was kind of the big thing. And what you're talking about, Alan, that, that was sort of like where this all started. My last one in that, well, my other one in that category was Cocteau Twins um, for I Wear Your Ring. Damn it. Know. Okay. Beat oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Crossing it off his list. I love it. Played at my wedding. But I mean, really? Really? Yes. Oh, oh wow. Cool. Yeah. I mean, like, what a great song. But but the thing of, I feel like for that, um, for that song is that they also they also picked the the most amazing songs for the singles. So I mean yeah. that was yeah. there was not a bad song on that record either. So you couldn't and, go uh, wrong. And sometimes it always ended up being the first track on the record. Like um that record and then I I always thought the begin the begin off a of life search pageant should have been a single. Mm -hmm. Yeah um, I, I totally agree with that. I always thought that should have been a single. Um but it's like oh this is the first track on the record. Hmm right I, I, I kind of am with you on this too, Stefan. I, I had two that I thought you would probably have, so I held back. But um, but now that she's taken one of yours, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, game, no, no, it's totally fine. Um, I was just so proud of myself for thinking of that one. Um, I, re I remember when they were working at the radio that the, the rep at the time was really tr pushing us to play Complicated Girl by the Bangles. Um, no, oh, that's a that great one. song. Which, which is the one I played. And I used to drive them nuts because I wasn't playing the single. And I was so happy when the guy at the label was like, you're playing that? Yeah. And then he'd go around and around, you know, a couple about a couple other records. He's oh, I'm so glad you're playing the Bangles. Uh, he goes, you're not going to play the single, are you? I'm like, no, I'm going to play that one. Because <laughs> um, I like that one. And then also the one I used to play that drove people. I mean, it's it was when I was playing records when I started, it was this record was a couple of years old, about three years old. But um, one of the best tracks on vacation that probably should have been a single was uh, We Don't Get Along. Just mm. because. That's a good song. Just because the intro on it is great, and that's a great record for radio, just because it's got a really good pop coming to it with the opening percussion, and it's got a really good sort of pace to it. Um, mm. that those were kind of ones I always thought would, would somehow work. So, so in addition to promotional singles, there's another curiosity, and that is where a band makes a music video for something yeah. that is not a single, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I remember and I I'm not really on the Oasis train, but I remember <laughs> mid to late nineties, they did that for just about every single song on what's the story morning glory. And that was all that was on the UK music channels for a brief period in about 1997. Yeah. Bands I do actually like, and Rob will get a kick out of this. Sparks did that quite a lot yep. in the early 2000s. I was wondering where that was coming. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for Sparks to come up this episode. <laughs> so they did that for the rhythm thief. I married myself and my baby's taking me home. And they're doing and, it now with the reissues too. With the yes. with the Sparks reissues that they're doing now, they're making uh, little cute little like, videos for all these songs. It's like like flash style animation, yeah. Yeah, it's like mm, it's yeah. stop it. Yeah. But I wanted to give a huge shout out for my baby's taking me home, which um, as Rob will attest is a massive earworm. It's yes. incredibly repetitive. I mean the line my baby's taking me home is repeated probably over a hundred times in the right <laughs> aside from one brief spoken word bit it's the only line actually sung in the song yeah 
but it's incredibly catchy and once it's in your head good luck getting it out and i'm fairly (laughs) certain if that had been pushed by their label for that reason and that reason alone it would have been an enormous hit i feel that way about lawnmower too but more so with my babies taking me home i and you know thinking of that record too it's like on that on this last tour that was one of the few that was like the first big song in the set that like everybody sang along with and I just remember, because that was my first sort of concert after coming out of whatever that pandemic slumber was. And that was like the first time I really felt like music in a room with like lots of other people, that communal thing of music again. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was like, and I remember thinking, this isn't even a single. People love this. So I'm, yeah, you're totally right on that. I think Split Ends used to do that a lot too. They made videos for like a lot of stuff that mm. was totally off the wall. Like- yeah, I... I and had a track of them. Like I was pioneers, gonna, kind of in that. I had a track of theirs. I was gonna put on the list, but it actually was a single because it turns out I had the seven inch and I didn't realize it. Because it never but, ceases to amaze me. No, it's um. See, this is the problem. I start looking through records now, and then yeah. Um, no, it's uh, six months in a leaky boat. Oh yeah, because that was a single. I feel like yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I never really got played much over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but on MTV, it got on MTV. It got a hell of a lot of. And that's I do remember seeing it on MTV. And yeah. that's probably subconsciously where I remember it. You know, yeah. um, really, because it was really one of those yeah. videos that was sort of before. Remember when I was saying in one of the of our pack, the podcast before, where how we're like, it was there was before and after Duran Duran. That was like one of the before, like that, mm-hmm. but that that was getting so much play, but yeah. it was very low quality kind of, but still yeah. getting a ton yeah. of play because the MTV just didn't have that many videos, you know, and yeah, you know, at that point, I guess, you know, yeah, so. Anthony, your point makes me think of something that I had an experience with just, I think, two years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I'm a big fan of, so Prince, you know, had lots of offshoots. And one of them, uh, Wendy and Lisa, who used to be in the revolution, um, I fucking love them. And um, I was going through some i was I, introducing them to a friend of mine in tennessee and she was like oh my god this is amazing and we were looking through on youtube just finding stuff and i found all these videos and i was like holy smokes i had no idea that this song was ever released as a single so i'm going through their discography and they weren't like i was pretty aware of all the songs that they released as singles and i'm like but wait a minute so two years ago i find there's a there, there's a video for Sideshow and uh, Satisfaction and a couple of other things. And I was like, wait a minute. These songs weren't released as singles. I had no idea that these videos even existed. Because MTV played like their first single and maybe, you know, not much else after that. So I just had no idea that all these videos existed, including for songs that they never released as singles. And I was like, holy smokes, look at all this stuff I get to watch. And a lot what of times... Too, Stephanie will know something about this too. Labels were starting to really sell kids ask your parents these VHS tapes of like collection. Yeah, very yeah. that's very true. And that's so a lot true. of artists would do like Paul Young did this. He made a um, kids ask your parents made a, a a video for every song on his album and put it out as a video as a video yeah. single thing. As yeah. A video. yeah. And so a lot of that comes from bands you know thought they were going to get a VHS release of like all their album and it just got to be too cost prohibitive. That's a great point. It. Yeah, absolutely. Because videos are expensive to make, yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. take longer than the they three were, minutes. Especially that... then, because there was no handheld little thing that you were using your iPhone to make a video. <laughs> right. It was like you know a huge production. Yeah, right. 
unless you were like April wine and you were shooting your concert and like you put 17 videos on MTV yeah. that, up that way. So, yeah. <laughs> and that is the I, only time April wine will ever be mentioned ever. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, I went through a period a million years ago where I was really into everybody April wine. Yeah, oh, I loved them. Everybody I loved them. I have no idea who that is. Oh, well, you probably don't want to know, so it's okay. <laughs> nah, there's, there's no reason to go look for him. So the other thing that I think is interesting is where something literally should have been a single but wasn't. For one reason or another, it gets cancelled, or the record label pushes it, but the artist says, "No, I want this," and actually, for once, gets their way. Right, like I was just talking about before. Right, right. Being kind of not bullheaded, but just what you mm -hmm. want. So the the other one I was thinking of in that category, Stephanie, is Kate Bush. Her Ooh. debut single ended up being Wuthering Heights, which was what she wanted. And I'm very, very impressed that at, at her age, at she her, took yeah, on she her was, label and won because she was like 19. At 19 the time. when the album came out. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. ballsy and I love it. But yeah. what the record label wanted to put out, and it was never actually a single, was James and the Cold Gun. Right. Which is a track I absolutely adore, but that's because I'm huge into prog rock and that's it's a very proggy song. But I'm curious as to whether there are any other tracks on anyone's lists that literally should have been the single if either the artist or the label got their way beyond what Jeez. Stephanie already mentioned and mm. and Kate. I know that mm. the Clash were really hellbent on doing London's Burning as a single. Um but the powers that be at you know Columbia are, were, were just like, look, this is not the time. This was the height of the IRA and stuff too, not to really do that. So they were really pushing on like Jenny Jones and some other stuff. Not that the Clash were a singles band at that point anyway, but there was a lot of push for that. Hmm. Um, Electronic, believe it or not, were really pushing to release the Patience of a Saint. Um, and what ended up being the compromise is that they recorded Disappointed for the Cool World soundtrack instead and released that as a single. And then the other one, too, that was interesting is uh, The Smiths from Meet is Murder with um, The Headmaster's Ritual. Johnny Marr wanted it to be a single, and uh, the label wanted it to be a single. Rough Trade really was big on having it because they really liked the, uh, the, the guitars on it, and they thought it was a really good sort of like rock track and be good for The Smiths to have something with a little bit of umph to it. And Morrissey was just like, no, we're not doing it. And mm. so that didn't get released um, mm. as a single. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of any. And that compromise, <laughs> and that compromise is why we got uh, a video for How Soon Is Now, which was made as a video before yeah. it was a single. Hmm. Also, uh, you know, uh, God, I hope I got the track right. Um, the Marvelettes wanted to do Tonight was made for love as a single, and they got a rule as well. Uh, which I thought was interesting because that would have been a really, really strong record. And while I don't have the specific examples, um, one of the things about the Supremes that was interesting is that they were always clashing with Barry Gordy about what they perceived as a single and what Motown perceived as a single. Um, and it doesn't really matter because it's the Supremes and they don't really have a bad single. But I know they were really pushing for you know a lot of those, a lot of the stuff in the mid '60s. They wanted like no more singles, more singles. They wanted them faster than the label did. They didn't think they needed record promotion. They didn't think that they needed radio. They're just like as long as we have new stuff out there for people, they're going to want to hear it. Um, so they're they're another band that sort of were always fighting with the label over what singles to do. So 
I have another um, category of sort of single songs that should have been singles, but that weren't even on the albums. Like, so, <laughs> yes. so um, Crowded House has a song called I Am In Love, but it's from Afterglow, which is mm. sort of like this compilation album that they yeah. put, you know, like hits. So yeah. that's something I felt like that song is so great. And it just should have been, I mean, it's, it's Scream single and you know, it wasn't even on a record of theirs, like a proper record. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was wondering if anybody had any of those kind of songs. Usually those things get included on the greatest hits album so that they can be released. So they can be right. Right. Yeah. So that you have a way of marketing this new record, even if it is a collection of, you know, older stuff, you've got something that's pushed to radio. What a weird choice. Yeah. (laughs) I know there's one, oasis track why do i keep coming back to Dude, what is it, man? i don't even like them that much sure <laughs> there was a legend a, a legendary track of theirs called stop the clocks which they eventually named a greatest hits album but didn't include the track on it <laughs> it's one of those ones that they played a few times everyone came out raving out of these live shows on how good this track was and there's never been anything more than a demo that's leaked into the public and they mm-hmm have kept teasing everyone with this track as i said even going as far as to name a greatest hits album after it but then not include it that's fine so right. i think like the that's opposite of like... yeah <laughs> exactly yeah kind of like it's... the back of love with echo and the Bunnymen. they didn't want it on the... it was a single but they put it on the american album because it did well it was kind of like an in-between single yeah, mm. this wasn't even a single but everyone literally everyone who's heard it says that it's single. incredible yeah Stephanie, I'm interested in knowing some of your experience back from the Aquanetas, like when you did have to have these conversations with the record label and you mentioned, you know, your differing opinion about what should be released from the label. How did some of those conversations go? And uh, can you say some of the songs that you would have wanted to see? Yeah, I mean, really, you know what it was with us? It was um, this is funny because we were talking about this in another another podcast with Miles Copeland. Um, But um, what we wanted to present for the Aquanet is our first single. We wanted it to be like a rocker kind of. Miles wanted to have Beach Party as the single, which was a little more poppy, you know, and we wanted Diplomat, which was a rocker. And I remember vividly sitting in a meeting with him, with the girls uh, around the table and he, you know, him explaining that he wanted Beach Party but it got really heated and I remember him like pounding on the table and sort of just being really pissed off that we were just like, no, we want diplomat. And that, and, and they, they gave in and they, they let us have that as the first single, but were we right? Or were we just, I don't know. I mean, I don't think we'll ever know, but um, that's, that's why st- stuff like that happens sometimes because I don't, mm. yeah. It's the way that, you know, the band wants to present themselves right out of the gate to how the label hears a single or a song. I mean, I know from working at a record company, too, for so long, that's also that happens, you know, happens a lot. Yeah, what's interesting, that story sort of on a, on a, on a parallel side note to it is I would kind of get the same conversations with record reps. Like if you would call me and say, hey. I have this record by the Aquinas that we're playing, you know, are you playing Diplomat? And we would say we're playing a different track off the record. Nine out of, 
four out of five times it was people like you that are like, hey, it's great. CMJ or Rockpool or, or Gavin Report will get the track for the album. It's fine. Right. But there are people, even now, because now they're focus tracks, though, right, instead of singles. But there are there are guys now that will call record station radio stations, and if you're not playing like the recommended track or two or three recommended tracks, if you're going like off base with this, it drives them absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah. They literally freak out. So I can I can kind of relate to that on a far different level than what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But it sort of like upends the apple cart of like who gets to pick what the single is, right? Right. And I think at the end of the day, time decides that they were right. Because if we're all sitting here in, in 10 years going, this should have been a single, then the, right. the label is, or, or, or the band knows that they were right in Iceland. Well, yeah, I'm- I mean, I, fi- I kind of feel like we should have probably just listened to, I mean, look at, you know, he had a track record. We were just stubborn, maybe. I don't know. I yeah. thought Diplomat worked, though, because at the time, Beach, Beach Party, had, there was a lot of records that were like in that pop vein that were out. And yeah. I think it might have gotten lost. We probably had this conversation in 1991, but <laughs> never mind. You, you know, if if you guys were 30 years later, with the way the music industry works now and downloads really driving the charts, the public would have chosen for you, fundamentally. Right. Yeah, right. that's you true. Know, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. You know, uh, speaking of downloads, when Bieber's first album came out, I was I was doing some research for a, a book that I was writing and I was it's a Doctor Who thing and I'm putting like all the ones that I'm talking about in a cultural context and I was looking at the pop charts for the same time that whatever Doctor Who story was out you know that I was writing about and there was like 15 fucking Bieber tracks on the chart at the time because it was like every song on the, his album was being downloaded and streamed so heavily that it, it didn't matter what the single was. Right. You know, it was that every single thing on the track on the, on the album was being streamed so voraciously that every song made it onto the pop charts. Hello, individually. Ed, hello, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Crazy. So on that note, is there anything anyone has that, did chart because of downloads, but wasn't officially a, a single or as Rob phrases it's a focus track that well, they have on their list. Uh, there is sort of the, the the soundtrack bounce from this. The Bill Withers track, Who Is He and What Does He Mean to You? Sort of had a second life when when it was in the Jackie when it was in Jackie Brown. Oh, um, which yeah. is kind of which is kind of the equivalent of that, sort of, right? Um yeah. you know, so there is some of that. And I think, you know, there's stuff by like um Goodbye 70s by Yaz, which has kind of just sort of found new found new audiences because they listen to a lot of electropop and synth pop, stuff like that. Um, I mean, Kate Bush running up that hill. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and I and I can't remember what the show was. Um, but I was excited because I'm the the world's only House Martins fan. And they played um the people that grin themselves to death. And I remember the next day there was a spike in Spotify listenership in that in england because it was on this particular show I, I know the other house martins fan there there are actually two of you rob oh good yeah there's three because david Tennant is one yes we had a con- long, 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 long. <laughs> yeah um he's not that, the one but, i know so yeah but that and get up off your off your knees both should have been singles but i thought it was really interesting that you know 
a, a song will be on a show. And this happened way before Strange Things, Stranger Things. A song will be on a show and then boom, the next day, you know, that's that's what the whole licensing thing does. Um, songs on the CW, boy, the next day there's a bounce. Yeah, right. Yes, true. You know. Or, or um, commercials too. Commercials. Yeah, commercials. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, like, it's killing me now that the police song "Walking on the Moon," which is so warped and distorted in that stupid car commercial, <laughs> that it just want to make. I just want to punch the TV. But like, I I don't even think people probably know it's a police song. But no. you know, I I bet that's getting a lot of play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever I don't. Sorry, no. I mean, whoever covered it, I'm sorry, but. <laughs> Yeah. Incidentally, there's also on a similar note, TikTok. Mm. People using yeah. songs in TikTok videos then brings them back into the charts. I think because people see it and it goes viral and they go, "Ooh, what's that song? Let me shazam it." Yes. Um, <laughs> All these my... words that I don't understand. Okay. I know. Right? Sorry, Boomer. <laughs> one um, of the... Yeah. But what one of my favorites that came out of that was, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Marina, formerly known as Marina in the Diamonds. I've mentioned the song Bubblegum Bitch on the show in the past, which <laughs> started right. off her Electra Heart album and I think is fantastic. It's high energy, very, very fun. That charted in, I think, Greece and Lithuania because of TikTok. Huh. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then there's just this, like a whole you know, sphere of artists that are just TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram and stuff like yeah. that. Like, like, you know, I mean, I don't say that in a bad way, but that's just where their audience is. But like, you know, that singer Jax, J-A-X, mm-hmm. who, who's, she's so cute and so wonderful and does just such, I love, I, I mean, that's one of the people that I actually know. I don't know many, but she's one of them from, from that, the, that kind of, you know, medium. Um, so I think that there's a whole separate, um, you know, a whole new way of being an artist now that wasn't, yeah. you know, when, when we were growing up, at least not, not possible, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the bandstand by AHA got this whole second life, you know, sort of virtually mm-hmm. too, because it's in some video game. Oh, really? Yeah, video really? Game. Yeah. I love that album. Yeah. Just say it. Okay. I'm sorry, Anthony, go ahead. Realize I'm, we're going a bit off topic of, songs that should have been singles but i wanted to add to what steph was just saying you know i think i think doja cat started Mm. out as a tiktok star and what i'm hearing there's a lot of buzz around a guy called jerris johnson who is huge on tiktok now i'm hearing he might be the next big thing that comes out of that platform so yeah it's it's basically helping independent artists find an audience and get known without a label yeah it's the new diy platform yeah you know, when people jumped onto the YouTube thing as I don't need a record label. I don't need a, I've, you know, I've got the technology to make records in mm-hmm. my bedroom. I will use YouTube to market myself. And TikTok is the new that. Yeah. 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 It's TikTok and Bandcamp. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. It's funny that the world has come so far. I remember when yeah. White Town made it big with your woman in 1996 he basically said, I wanted to prove that as a fat Indian guy, I could make a hit record in my bedroom. <laughs> he still had to get the interest of a record label to do that. Now you right. don't even need that. Right. And now it's sampled and he's making more money. Yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, there you go. We're drifting off topic. <laughs> Ever so slightly. Okay, so we're right at the end of the show. So has anybody got any quick examples that they haven't mentioned yet? Uh, the Pixies, Doolittle. Uh, oh, Gauss away, 
which is sort of found a life of its own, and then also off of um, Bossa Nova, Is She Weird? Uh, the Pixies, you know, the, the, uh, Where Is My Mind and um, some, of their other, uh, some of their other stuff sort of by osmosis has gotten into movies and things, and people always say, hey, why wasn't that a single, right? Um, so there's that one. Uh, for me, the Pixies have a ton of songs that are kind of like that. Also, Dirty Back Road um, from Wild Planet by the B-52s. I always thought that should have been a single, too. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. Great song. I got a couple that I'll just list super okay. quick. Sure. Hang Em High from Diver Down. Hello. Oh, ben wow. Ooh, that should have been a single. That. Yeah, I mean, it should have. Yeah. Um, for, for, for Amy Mann from whatever, I think 50 Years After the Fair or Jacob Marley's Chain should have oh, been yeah. singles. Um, jellyfish, spilt milk, I think gluttonous sympathy, mm-hmm. bye bye bye, or joining a fan club. I mean, any song really on that record is amazing, <laughs> but I but those three. And then Matthew Sweet, oh, two more actually. Matthew Sweet, uh, from Girlfriend, I think Evangeline, but especially mm. I wanted to tell her. But I think I wanted to tell her might have been too much like uh um waiting. Uh, I've been waiting, so maybe they they had yeah. to maybe balance that out. And then lastly, world party. Um, from uh, from Goodbye Jumbo, I think the single should have either been Love Street and or Sweet Soul Dream. Wow. And uh, going in a completely weirder direction than that, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult Waiting for Mommy, because it had all these samples of like chic and horror movies in it. And it just totally, they were playing it in like <laughs> clubs and radio, and like weird indie radio stations were playing it overnight. And also Wandering Star by Portishead. Um the labels were really pushing sour times when it came out. And then a bunch of stations jumped on wandering star. And I don't know what polygram did to sort of steer them all back, but they strong armed everyone back and then sour times broke. I have a few. Um, Excellent. First is when Marillion went independent, they did a really bad job at releasing singles. (laughs) I think in fact, they just didn't um, probably because that whole damn money thing. Um, because they couldn't really promote them and an album. But I think a legacy off of Marillion.com would have made a fantastic single. Um, I think uh, Suede, you know, one of my favorite bands on Dogman Star, they had a track called Heroin. That was the second track on the album that would have made a killer single. (laughs) And then last but not least, until recently, Stephen Wilson didn't release singles for Mm. much of his solo stuff. And the title track off of Hand Cannot Erase was phenomenal um and he has quite a large uk audience he's one of the unsung best-selling artists basically very very high album sales i think he could have uh, done really really well with a single yeah awesome well this was such a fun topic i'm so glad we did this um we're going to be back again next week with the this is this is clever the flip side of this discussion where we're going to be talking about killer b-sides so the songs that accompanied the singles that a lot of times maybe have been better than the single, a lot of times were a new track that wasn't on the album and the artist is using the flip side of a single to get yet another song out onto the market. So that's going to be a great discussion too. And we're going to have Stephanie with us again next week to talk about that. I'm so excited. And, Stephanie, um, I'll be bringing up more Oasis on that. Even oh, though great. I don't like them that much. Excellent. And probably more Sparks too. <laughs> So, Stephanie, where can people find more about you and your current single? You can find my new single, There Was a Time. Well, current single, There Was a Time on Bandcamp. Just Stephanie Seymour on Bandcamp. Um, I have a website called therearebirds.com, which you can find 
a lot of info on plus the new song and streaming platforms everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and can I make a shout out on that? Shout please out. Go, please do go and check it out. Stephanie's track is excellent. You are missing yeah. out if you are not listening. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, I messaged Stephanie a couple of weeks ago because I played it and somebody called me and asked me when exactly was the time. She didn't explain it in the record. <laughs> wow. And I spent 15 minutes with this guy trying to explain to him that you have to actually listen to the record. <laughs> there was a time. There I'm was. not sure when it was, but there was one. So, Rob, where can people track you down? So I can be heard on KDHX on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 Central Time. Um, you can listen online at kdhx.org. Um, that streams and all the shows are archived um, for two weeks. So if you missed the show from two weeks ago, if you want to listen to Bastille Day music, you have about another four days. Uh, if you want to listen to the last week's show, you've got another you know week and a half or so. So yeah, it's a cool way to, to check that out. And then also on the NeedCoffee.com podcast, Weekend Justice and around. A-dubs. We're still going with that. I call myself that once for for a laugh, and we. we okay. I'm sorry, cool. but it's it's too good. It's stuck it has now. To stick. <laughs> All right. As usual, you can find me on Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, a Doctor Who podcast, where we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. Um, we actually have an episode coming up in about a month's time that Alan is the guest moderator for. So very very excited for that. Um, as usual, you can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, wherever you like to get your podcast, really, and probably wherever you're listening to this podcast, too. <laughs> I have another podcast aside from this one, and it is called Earth Station Trek. It's a show all about everything Star Trek, and it's amazing. So we will be back again next week to talk about killer b-sides the flip side of what we've been talking about tonight we'll see you then have a great week do good things be good to each other and we will see you keep rocking on this has been a broadcast of the eso network be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our eso patreon or by shopping for the t public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.